0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton. Today I'm on the phone with Ya Jesse. Her latest book, Transcendent Kingdom, was published last month. Yaa's debut novel, Homegoing, received several honors, including the Penn Hemingway Award for a First Book of Fiction and the American Book Award. In a few weeks, Yaa will be taking part in the first all-virtual Miami Book Fair, Yeah, congratulations on the new book, and thanks so much for coming on Read More. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Transcendent Kingdom is such a beautiful book. I was just swept up in the story right away. It tells the story of Gifty, a Ph.D. candidate in neuroscience at Stanford University Medical School who's studying addiction or reward-seeking behavior. Her research is very personal to her. Her brother Nana died of a heroin overdose. Gifty was born in the US, but her family came from Ghana and settled in Huntsville, Alabama. Yah was born in Ghana and grew up in Huntsville. Yeah, before we get started talking about the book, I just wanted to find out how you've been coping during the pandemic. Has it affected your work or I know you're in New York
1: City, right? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in New York um, and things have certainly gotten better here. Um, I think there was so much anxiety and fear in March um, back when all we heard were, you know, sirens going off 24-7 and didn't really know what to do. Um, But now that there's more clarity about uh, what we are supposed to do, the measures that we are supposed to take, um, that things have gotten a lot better as far as my work, um, you know, things didn't really change that dramatically for me. I was already working from home before this. Um, so it wasn't a big transition as it, as it has been for so many other people around the world. Um, I was able to kind of keep more or less the same schedule, um, work-wise, as I was pre-pandemic. Um, though I will say, the anxiety of this moment um, certainly has not made for many uh, very productive writing days. Um, I think that that will come later once um, once things have kind of settled a little bit more. In
0: your acknowledgement for Transcendent Kingdom. You mentioned that Gifty's research is based on the work of one of your friends, who Mm -hmm. was a postdoc at Danford. What is it about her research that interested
1: you so much and made you think it would be the good basis for a novel? Um, well, I think primarily it was just the fact that it was so different from anything that I spent um, my days thinking about, anything that I myself had researched or was interested in. I was fortunate enough to visit her in her lab and take a tour um, and watching her perform surgery on her mice, listening to her talk about her work but also the implications of her work um on on human life um you know many years down the road when it's applicable to us as well as to mice, uh, I just found so incredibly fascinating and I felt like um it was a subject that lent itself really well to to narrative, that there was a way to fashion a story around uh reward seeking behavior. Um I think it's something that is kind of intuitive to us and easy for us to to comprehend, um, particularly when put uh in in story form.
0: How much research did you have to do to be able to write confidently about her experiments and, you know, operating on the mice and all the theories that her work is based on?
1: Uh, Quite a bit. You know, it's always hard to kind of quantify how much research you do. It felt like a lot. Um, My goal was just to kind of be able to have a working understanding of um, neuroscience, specifically reward-seeking behavior, um, and even more specifically uh, a process called optogenetics. I wanted to um, be able to understand those things uh, enough so that I could, you know, kind of cogently speak about them, but recognizing, too, that I myself am a lay person, and many of the people who would be picking up this book um, are lay people, um, and so I wanted it to Um, to read easily, uh, read in such a way that you could understand these uh, intricate concepts, um, even if you, you know, haven't taken a science class since high school biology.
0: There is such a longing and sadness that permeates this book. In addition to dealing with her brother's death, Gifty also has to contend with her mother's depression, which sprang from that. Essentially, her mother was never the same after Nana died. When you write something like this that's so emotionally charged and very dark in some places, what do you tap into to go to that place and to get it on the page? And once you're done writing, do you have to do something to sort of snap yourself out of that when you're done for the day. It just kind of seems like something that could maybe cling to you in an uncomfortable way while you're writing.
1: Mm. Well, I think the research that um that I do really helps me to figure out how to find my way into some of these really dark places um and for this particular book I was reading a lot of reporting that was happening around the opioid epidemic, um the epidemic that is still uh, currently uh, going on um, uh, concurrently with the with the pandemic, um, and I found this reporting to be really helpful. A lot of um, just sensitive, new nuanced, humanizing looks on the lives of people who were suffering from opioid use disorder, um, but also work that was kind of involving other community members, uh, family members, children. Uh, firefighters who were first responders um, and getting those other voices, I think really helps me to um, start to understand what the emotional impact of um, this disorder would look like on other people, um, which was one way I got in. Um, But in terms of like how, how it happens on the page, I wish I had a better answer. I think it's just, um, for me, it's kind of just intuitive. It's like a, a process of trying to, um in some ways, listen carefully to whatever um whatever voice it is that is kind of pushing me forward um, and to honor the stories of real people who have gone through similar circumstances. Um, thankfully, it hasn't really been too hard for me to set my work aside and just kind of return to my everyday life after I've finished a writing day. Um I think part of that is just years of practice. Um, Transcendent Kingdom certainly deals with difficult subject matter, but Home Going, my first novel did as well. Um so I think I've had a lot of years to to know that, you know, your work is your work and your life is your life and um and the two don't necessarily have to mix uh, at all times. And so uh, at the end of my writing day I like to just do something that's completely different, you know, enjoy um other other books, other novels written by by people um who who I admire to watch television shows that I admire, um just uh, just kind of do all of the the normal stuff that we all do to unwind um, and and leave our work behind.
0: This novel also deals with the tension between religion and science. Gifty grew up attending a white evangelical church with her mom and brother. As a child, she had great faith. She kept a journal where she wrote to God, but her faith fractured after her brother's death. It's clear, though, from your writing that she hasn't completely left it behind. She comes to see that neither has all the answers that she seeks. Why was this a topic you wanted to explore?
1: Um, Well, it's one that I don't think I've seen in a lot of fiction, certainly not a lot of contemporary fiction, um, you know, dealing with religion, with spirituality, with faith. Um, There are certainly writers who have have tackled these subjects, Um, writers like James Baldwin, whose beautiful novel Go Tell It on the Mountain is a big inspiration to me. Uh, writers like Marilyn Robinson, whose novel Gilead um, kind of knocks the wind out of me every time I read it. Um, so there is a tradition of it, but um, not not one that I feel is particularly robust. Um, and I grew up Pentecostal, like Gifty, the main character, um, and it was a big part of my life as a child, um, and one that um, I think has been incredibly formative even as I have kind of drifted away from, um, from the church of my childhood. And I think for Gifty, uh, like for me, um, there's this question of um, where, does, where does it all go after you've left? Where does it all go um, after you've kind of stopped believing um, that many years spent going to this place multiple times a week uh, being around this community multiple times a week it's not something that just kind of disappears into the air Um, it lingers and and we see the ways that it lingers for Gifty um, even as she turns towards science Um, and and I think that it was important to me to um, to show those aspects of faith that uh, again that I don't see represented very often.
0: When you revealed that Gifty and her family were attending a white church, it surprised me, because churches in this country remain so segregated. Gifty has some good experiences at this church, but she also experiences racism there. Why did you want to put her family in this congregation?
1: Um, Well, it's a book, I think, that's particularly interested in the effects of isolation, the effects of loss on creating character um, on kind of uh, creating personality. Um, so Gifty has experienced so many losses, um, both physical losses as with the death of her brother, but also emotional losses and emotional distances like from her family. Um, but I think one significant loss, one su- significant place of isolation was the fact that Gifty was attending this um, white Pentecostal church. Um, and I wanted it to be um, this kind of, Thought experiment that readers could do, where you wonder what Giftie's life might have been like had she not, um, had she been in community with other Black people, if she had attended a, a Black church, what Giftie's life would have been like if she were not so defined. Um, by everything that she didn't get, um, some of those very kind of tangible, um, understandable things that she didn't get, but, um, some of these things were ineffable, um, that, uh, kind of sense of belonging, sense of community, um, and I think this is a story that's, um, that's common to a lot of Black immigrants, um, who come and just kind of wind up in a place Um, that's already so far from home um, that it it doesn't feel too foreign sometimes to the adults um, uh, to not be experiencing community with people of their same race. Um, But I think for the children, um, those kinds of losses uh, begin to manifest quite early.
0: Women authors are often not granted the freedom to write fiction without readers and Critics sometimes searching for biographical links, did that concern you at all as you were writing this um because of the you know the connection to Ghana and Huntsville, Alabama, that people might look at this and say, Oh, this has some sort of tie to yaw's family
1: um I expected to receive those kinds of um those kinds of comments uh I had certainly received them for my first book even though that book, you know, covers 300 years and would have taken some form of magic I think to truly be autobiographical. Um I think part of the, the part of it comes from, you know, what Adichie has called the single story, um the fact that there that there aren't very many representations of um Ghanaian Americans um or Ghanaians at all in in western literature. Um, and certainly in American literature. um, And so it's easy for people to see a story of a Ghanaian-American, perhaps the first that they've ever encountered, and assume that it was necessarily my life because I myself am Ghanaian-American. I think white writers do not get this question quite as often. You know, so many set uh, books in the places that they grew up in or um, with characters who look like them, or are kind of representative of their experiences, but aren't aren't faced with the the question of autobiography. Um, some are, um, but I think one thing that I have noticed is the the inclination to do so. I think comes from a place of um, kind of lacking a wide array um, of experiences with which to kind of compare the literature. Um, So the assumption is easier to make.
0: And clearly you don't let that stop you. Like you don't think, well, I need to, I need to write about a a young woman who's from New York city so that no one's going to say this As as a writer. Is that something that you just know, you know, some people are going to say this, but I can't let it, let it affect what I write.
1: Yeah, um, more the latter. You know, I hope to never um, get to a point where um, what I write is being dictated by um, the perceptions of my writing that I think that I will get. Um, I think to start to think that way would ultimately be, you know, ruinous to the creative process. So um, I never want to be thinking about um, critiques or um, this kind of poor readings Um, that I might be getting as I'm writing the first draft. I want to feel the freedom to write about, um, write whatever it is that interests me. Um, And oftentimes that's, again, like things that I wish that I could have read myself, um, which often means representation of people um, who come from where I come from and, and look the way that I look.
0: Well, let's talk about what you like to read now. Do you have what I like to call go-to books that you just return to again and again? So, you know, if you were in a situation where you could only read three books for the rest of your life, do you have three books that would immediately come to mind? And you say, well, I would like to just you know spend the rest of my time here poring over those because. Either you've learned so much from them, or you they just bring you so much enjoyment. Oh, it
1: would be so hard to narrow it down to three. I certainly have books like that um, I'm a big believer in in rereading and rewatching um, because I think uh just you get so much um out of a work when you encounter it for uh second and third and fourth times um so uh some examples of books that I do reread. Include Go Tell It on the Mountain, um, which I mentioned earlier, uh, by James Baldwin. Um, Also, a book of short stories by Edward P. Jones called Lost in the City, um, which is a a favorite of mine. Um, I also love a book um, by Maggie Nelson called The Argonauts, um, which I've reread several times as well. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier Gilead by Marilyn Robinson as well uh is another book that i've that I've reread several times, and uh, get more out of every time I read it
0: on the flip side of that, do you have any books that, despite being critically acclaimed and beloved by many readers, that you just couldn't get into I mean maybe you started it and you couldn't finish it? Or you did get through it, and afterwards you just couldn't quite understand, you know, what all the fuss was about it.
1: Um, yes, I think that I've been assigned or have in my lifetime been assigned um, Ulysses by James Joyce by several different teachers. Um, and it's a book that I just have never liked enough to finish. And so um, he's a, you know, he's like a major um a figure in American letters while well, in, in letters all across the world um, and that people adore his work, but that book is um, not my favorite. I did gratifyingly once in grad school. I had a teacher who said that she thought that it was a crude book carried on at appalling length, um, so it made me feel a little better that I couldn't get through it.
0: COVID-19 has forced many of us to quarantine with our families. If you could pick any writer, living or dead, to ride out this
1: pandemic with,
0: who would you choose and why?
1: Um, I think that I would probably look to Jesmyn Ward, um, who is a writer who I deeply admire. I think she's... Um, one of the best, if not the best, writers working in the English language today. Um, And her books have brought me great solace throughout my life. And I think in this time in particular, um, she wrote an essay that was published um, just in the past couple of months. Um, And I want to say it was in, I don't know, was it in Harper's? I'm going to have to, I can't remember where exactly it was published, um, but it was uh, titled on witness and Respite," and it was about the passing of her husband but also um, witnessing um, the kind of worldwide response to the black lives matter movement and how it had filled her with hope um, and reading that essay um, made me weep but it also filled me with hope and so if there's if there's anyone that I want to be learning from and thinking about um, these days, it's Jasmine Ward.
0: Do you find that you have been reading more during the pandemic?
1: Um, it ebbs and flows. I, I certainly have read more during the pandemic overall um, than I had in the months before um, before we went into lockdown here in New York. Um, but, um, but there were certainly periods where I felt kind of too anxious, too scattered to, uh, kind of use the sustained attention that reading requires. Um, so it has, it has gone back and forth, but I do think overall, yes, I've, I've read more in these past few months, um, than I typically do. What are you reading right now? Um right now I'm reading um a book that uh, came out many decades ago called A Woman in the Dunes by Kobo Abe. It's a kind of allegorical novel um by a um really res- respected well respected Japanese author. Um and I uh, I find it very beautiful. I recently finished Memorial Drive by Natasha Trethewey, it's a memoir by um, one of our for- former Poet Laureates, um, that is just stunning work. Um, I also recently finished Luster by Raven Leilani, which uh, is a debut novel that I found um, just really, really sharp and funny and interesting. Are you already working on your next book? Um No, not really. Um, I'm I'm thinking about my next book. I have an idea um, that I'm tossing around, but as I have found with these last two books, beginnings are rather hard for me. Um, It takes me um, some time to really kind of sink my my teeth into a new book. So um, I have something on my mind, and uh, I'm going to worry it to death until... Um, until it starts to take shape.
0: Well, y'all, once that takes shape and once it comes out, I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about your work. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You can catch y'all, Jesse, next month in the first virtual Miami Book Fair. You can go to the fair's new website, MiamiBookFairOnline.com, to learn more about it. You can find out how to win a free copy of Transcendent Kingdom on our website, readmorepodcast.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support Ya and the show through buying the book on our site. You can follow us on Twitter at readmorepodcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again next week for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marvin Hinton, reminding you to read more.